Food and Beverage Magazine Live, bringing food and beverage to life with your hosts, James Beard Award winner Jennifer English and Food and Beverage Magazine publisher Michael Politz. Featuring leaders in the hospitality, branded food and beverage, and CPG industries, many of whom are Jennifer and Michael's friends in the business. For an informal and informative conversation where friends in the business share the latest intel, ideas, and best practices. Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz. Hello. Hi, how are you? Do you know what I have? You know what I learned? Money can buy love in the restaurant. Yeah. How? Well, you have to buy the book. But money can buy you love. That's what do funny. You, what do you have? I have a question. Um, it's 116 degrees here yesterday, mm-hmm. and um, I thought I'd start color coordinating my Italian ice pops with the, the shirts I wear. Which one should I should I go matchy matchy or should I go complimentary? I go matchy matchy. Now is um, is that an otter pop? No, this is an Italian ice. Okay, How tell about me about it. What does that What does that mean? What does that mean? Italian ice. Tell us about it. Do you see these? Oh, it literally says Italian ice. It says Italian. It looks like an otter pop, but it says Italian ice. Interesting. And Interesting. it will, it will, along with my uh, Celsius uh, mock Bellini, mm-hmm. keep me cool. I got my box. When, when are we going to meet with those guys? When are they coming on? They're coming on Wednesday. Okay, great. I'll wait. I'll open my are I'll unveil. Have you tried it yet? No. I think you're going to like the green tea. That's I want to do it. In, I want to do it in their face. So you want to have like a live unboxing. We've had a, so we have to comment on the live unboxing we did on Friday because we've had more comments and views and viewers and hits on that than in any other show that we've had. I, I don't know why. It was weird. Was it as over? It was a, well, it was, it was, it was an unusual thing. It but was unusual. Mercury's retrograde and it just proves Mercury's, that. Mercury's out of retrograde from what I understand. It's time to sign contracts. Is it? Well, let's get somebody on. Like, can somebody comment if anybody's with us uh, who knows about this sort of thing? Um, What do we have on today? Who do we got? Tell us about it. Well, so it's summertime. And when Mm -hmm. it's summertime, you have to celebrate the season and you have to celebrate the bountiful goodness. Uh, And you should eat what's in season, as Farmer Lee Jones from Chef's Garden said, like three times a day. So I don't know about you, but I've been eating a ton of peaches, a ton of beautiful tomatoes, and this idea of eating seasonally and lightly and beautifully uh, is something that we're going to talk about periodically over the next several weeks, mm-hmm. as everyone mm-hmm. anywhere has access to the best of the of the mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have a really good friend who hooks us up with the best cookbooks that come out throughout the year. We do. Who's that, who's that friend? Who is that? It's Carrie Bachman, our um, good friend Carrie Bachman. I don't know Carrie Bachman. You need to know Carrie Bachman. Why doesn't Carrie Bachman have my book? She. Oh, is she on your list? She's on my list. There's a Still whole waiting. story. Carrie Bachman is your friend too. You just don't know it yet. They're all my friends. 
there are friends in the business. But honestly, I've been collaborating with with Carrie because she's literally represented. Right. I would say enough about Carrie. I don't, I don't, I don't, enough about Carrie. But, you know, let's talk about the next. Let's talk about Danielle. But I'm 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 responding to your questions. As I, they I forgot right. what question I even asked. You've been <laughs> talking so much. What was even my question? I don't think <laughs> you, you talk so much. I don't even know what my question was. You you your your question was what flavor? Whoa. Hey, what are you a loyal now? <laughs> oh, so good. I needed that. You got me riled up. I had to cool down. Okay. So there's a fantastic website that I'll direct you to called Peas, Love, and Carrots. What? It's a website. It's a website. This is the first I've heard of it. And the author of the book that we're going to feature today is the remarkable woman who is the author of a book called Peas, Love, and Carrots. Let me ask you a question. How do you know it's a woman, not a French man? Uh, because she has an amazing story. She has a fabulous husband and five children. What? She grew up in New York. And for the last 10 years, um, she's been not only living in Jerusalem, Israel, oh, but no. she has delved and done a deep dive into delicious food. The tagline on her site is, we'll travel for food. Let's this get her on, because she's got, you said she has five kids. Why? Don't so get, she, she's Jen, probably she all about these. Jennifer, don't get wordy with her. She'll fall asleep. She's got five kids. She's exhausted, okay? <laughs> Let's bring her on. There she is. Live from Jerusalem, Israel, Danielle Renaud. Danielle Renaud, the oh, author hello. of one of our favorite books of the year, Peas, Love, and Carrots. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am well, to have you. Thank you. Talk a little bit for Michael, who um, hasn't had the benefit of um, just floating in glorious uh, visits with your site and your words the way I have over the last week, getting ready for this conversation. Um, tell him a little bit about your lovely mission at Peas, Love, and Carrots. Tell us all. Why just me? You don't want the audience to know? <laughs> I don't understand. Is it a secret, some kind of a wax secret that I don't know about? Uh, um, well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's not such a secret. Basically, I grew up in Long Island, New York. My mother is an immigrant. She was born in Morocco. She was raised in Paris, came to America via Montreal, um, met my father, who was born and raised in New York, um, actually also grew up in Long Island. And uh, together, they built a really multicultural home where my parents did a really good job of melding their two cultures, but also their two food worlds. They're both like huge foodies. And my mother comes from a very, very traditional Moroccan home where women really play, you know, a huge role in the kitchen and mm -hmm. cooking a very, very central, important uh, part of a woman's life in a Moroccan home. And my grandmother and my mother and my aunts really passed down their love of food. And my mother, being a really good wife, um, really learned the foods that my father liked 
eat also like really uh, typical American food, typical Ashkenazi Jewish food. Uh, and she was really able to meld the two food cultures together and really gave us the best of both worlds. And then I decided to pick up and leave their world and come to Israel, which is just like this whole other melting pot of a million food cultures. And now, you know, I am sort of food confused, but like in the best way possible because I get the best of everything. So it's just been an amazing journey. And four years ago, I started the blog because I wanted to bring everyone on my journey. Your journey is a unique one, and the the creation of a book, and Michael, you know this very well, having just published uh, a book. I, I want you book guys to both of you tell me about the, the way that you bring this passion you have to tell this story and to do this work to life. You've each, within the last month, published a fantastic book that took a long time and a lot of work. I want to use this opportunity to talk about books and what it takes to produce them and what it was inside each of you that made this book have to come to life. Cause it really is something that's a gift from each of you to the world. Um, Danielle, let's start with you. What, what was it that made you say, it's not enough to have my blog. It's not enough to do this work. I have to do a book. So it's so funny being hesitant to create a book because um, I'm very impulsive. And one of the main I love about a blog is like that instant gratification for me and for my that I create a recipe, know it's delicious, and give it to you. And the next day, see that food on your plate and know that what we made together now is bringing the people in your house around. And I love that instant gratification. Um, but the truth is, is that there's nothing as, um, there's nothing more basic than a book looking off of your phone, cooking off of your iPad, trying to search for on Instagram is just not as convenient. Pulling a book off of yourself and opening it up to that page that it sort of opens up to on its own because you've made that recipe so many times, you know? And I think people really wanted that and my community really expressed to me that they really wanted that convenience. And so finally I sat down and I did it and I'm really the type of person if I'm going to do it. I'm going to all the way and I gave it every single thing I had. I took a year off of my life away from everybody and I just put everything I had into it. Michael, I want to ask you that same question, not to turn my co-host into an interview guest, but you both had a book come out in the last month. It it took a tremendous amount of work. What made you take that first step in this journey that was a really long journey of, of hard work? Um, knowing it was going to be hard, but you did it anyway. What made you ultimately do this book? You know, the paycheck. <laughs> no. Yeah, what do you mean? No? <laughs> I'm going to write something. What, you think I could take that much time and not get paid? Jennifer, I only give my time to you, my love. I want to no. know what I did. Definitely wasn't for the paycheck. <laughs> they came to me and they came and they said, hey, Michael, you have the largest audience of any food and beverage trade industry readership in the world. Right, Jennifer? That's what they said, in the world. Right now we got 422 people on my website. In the world. And they said, you must know all this great stuff. Please, Michael, please, they begged me. We're the biggest publishing company in the world and we must have you write a book. And I said, no, 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 I'm too busy. I've got to do things for Jennifer. And they said, please, 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 share all of your successes. 
please. And so that's what happened. So then I said, okay. And I, I, I had process started with my people. Because you know, Danielle, I have people. So my people handled it for me. All Ashkenazi, all my people Ashkenazi, right? We broke bread. We had the challah. We had the, the, what else did we have, Jennifer? We had the, the gefilte. We had well, the lots. Well, we had the, uh, we had the uh, every Thursday kugel. We are the kugel. The every Thursday kugel. Only, by the way, with the golden raisins. Only with the golden raisins. Oh, I'm anti the raisins. I think the raisins ruined childhood for many Ashkenazi children. You bite well, into that. You we had, you're getting the and then you get a mushy raisin. Oh, it's, the it's, mushy raisin. What about uh, what about the brisket? What about the stuffed cabbage? Come on, Danielle. Are these recipes in your book? We do have well, a I wanna, Can I ask a question? No, I, she's still answering mine. Slow down. Go ahead, Danielle. book is really like uh, an amalgamation of my food culture. So it's not as Ashkenazi as that. Um, I mean, there is a brisket. There's like, I think, two or three briskets. <laughs> wow. But, but there's not really stuffed cabbage there. There's a lot of Moroccan and Mediterranean. Oh, I love that. That's delicious. In a Moroccan um, kitchen. You know, my mother did the cooking. My father makes a very, very amazing food melts, but like that's literally the only thing he makes. <laughs> um, so a lot of the book has mostly Moroccan and yeah, Mediterranean, like things from Israel, Middle Eastern flavors, things like that. Um, just like really good basic recipes. There's actually very French based, Daniel. French based a little bit, a little bit of that French undertone. There is a French undertone. My mother was actually born in Casablanca. Her mm. family, Fez, which is French Morocco, Southern Morocco. Mm -hmm. um, and grew up in Paris. So um, you'll see when you when you when you skim the book, you'll see a lot of. You know, there's there's a lot of butter for a I, well, I, I grew up, my very close friends growing up were all Moroccan. I'm from Washington, D.C. area. And I'm sure your mother knows a lot of these, the, uh, the Amsalems and, and the, the friends of them. What's that? We're related to all of them. You know that. Yes, I know all of your cousins and I've eaten all their food and I've been in all their restaurants. And they're very, I was very close to them. They put me, while I was in college, I would go to all their restaurants all day long. And, you know, so so Jennifer, this 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 is a treat. This food, right? It's a treat mm -hmm. to have, and, and they don't have these. Be it's almost people. They would open up the restaurants, and they would be bistros, right? And they were not really French bistros. They were Moroccan, but nobody knew the difference, right? So you would go in, and you would have your artichokes and your this. It was all with this flair, right? With this French Moroccan flair, um, and it was all owned by you know your cousins and everybody. And they still. I just talked to one the other day. They, and they used to also own the, and, they, and I'm sure all over the country, um, the distributorships, right? So one of my friends owns a beef company. The other one owned, owned a company called Silver Spoon, and they would do all the, they would do all the, the front of house stuff, right? For all their cousins, for all their families who owned the restaurants. It was a great little community of people, and it was happy. Everybody was always happy. Jackie Shrieky, always happy. Jackie Shrieky, always happy. Jacques Bouton. A little grumpy, a little grumpy Jacques Breton, but that's okay. <laughs> that's very funny, <laughs> very accurate description. <laughs> and yeah, the Amsalem, Amsalem's always nice, always nice. They were very loaded, had a lot of money from the businesses, and didn't care about anything. Made sure everybody was hospitable. This is where you learn hospitality, right? They came in. 
nobody nobody knows how to um take care of a guest like a, a moroccan really you go into a moroccan's house at any time of day any day of the week any time of the year and they have a seven course meal to you like out of nowhere and by the way they're kids <laughs> It's magical. Um, but there are a lot of those notes. There are, in fact, many, many artichoke recipes because I am a big fan of artichokes. Um, and, you know, I, I just worked really hard to create a book. There's over 350 recipes that I felt like if you were going to grace me the space on your shelf these days for my book, then I wanted to make sure that there was more than 10 recipes in there that you could use. So, you know, there's some very involved recipes like homemade from scratch with the traditional seven vegetables. And then there's like the quick, easy night dinner of, you know, an oven-baked chicken tender that you can give to your kid, but with three different sauces so that it doesn't get old so that you can change it up. I really wanted to give you the full, full gamut of recipes. And um, we worked really hard to achieve that. Um, can we ask, I have to interject here cause I was going through your site and one of the recipes that kind of knocked me out and I wanted to clarify whether this would even be in the brisket category cause it was something that I, I didn't necessarily feel like I had seen before, but you have this, this roast. It looks like, do you call it a brick? A brick roast. It's a magical piece of meat. Yeah. So. Is a brick roast a version of a brisket? No, a brick roast actually comes from the cut. It's a leaner piece of meat. It's it's about, I would say like three to four inches uh, thick. It's sometimes called a French roast or a square roast, depending, you know. Okay. Jennifer, let, let me, Danielle, let me help you. Jennifer, a brisket, okay, is a slab of meat. We know what a brisket is, but it's the way we prepare it where we use our special love and our tomatoes and our the special love and the brown sugar. And you know what my secret is for my brisket, Danielle? What? Shall I, shall I share that with you? Please do. It might and end up but. Ginger snaps. Ginger snaps in your brisket? Not in the brisket, in the sauce, on the brisket. And it dissolves, they dissolve? They dissolve. And that's sometimes my mother's secret, by the way is spicy V8 juice. I think that's a lazy way to go, but that's what she uses. Spicy V8 juice is genius. It's vegetable. It's pureed vegetables. She doesn't that's have to peel anything. That's well, she's a Jewish woman from Maryland. What do you expect? That's what they do for the East Coast. They don't want to chop and peel. She's a genius. That's brilliant. I want you to try the ginger snaps, and I have a feeling I put it in my stuffed cabbage, too, and I think you're going to enjoy it. <laughs> You put ginger snaps in your stuffed cabbage? Not in it, in the sauce. It's the same sauce, the brisket sauce and the stuffed cabbage sauce. We have many, many brisket sauces, um, but stuffed cabbage is like that sweet and sour vibe thing going on. That's you know? what I'm talking about, the sweet and sour vibe. I do the brisket sweet and sour. My That's father about his stuffed cabbage. He's very particular. Your father would eat my stuffed cabbage to the end of the universe. He would love it so much. You should send him some. He would appreciate that. Jennifer, you know, you, you're so out. Jennifer's Jewish, by the way, and, and and I know she doesn't look it. She's very New England. Jennifer, let's hear about your about your Jewish treats, your kugels. We I come from such an amalgamated family culture, but when you come from Boston, it kind of has this pervasiveness, 
And there's there's all of those very traditional New England flavors. The same way we have we have cod and crab and clam the way you guys have crab in Maryland. Well, so, we, we don't have kosher clam chowder, Jennifer. I understand that. <laughs> Tell us how you would make that, Jennifer. How would you whip up a kosher clam chowder? I don't ascribe to I, you can't make, I, I'm a bit of a purist. You can't make a great chowder without starting with a little, you know, bit of bacon. I mean, you could use another kind, but that's another story. This is not, I know. So I make sensational chowder and I ascribe to the Jasper White School and the sort of more Boston, Rhode Islandy, brothy versions of chowder uh, versus that, you know, over thickened, uh, restaurant claimed to be New England clam chowder. Jennifer, Jennifer, I know this is a kosher show right now, but I've got to tell you something. <laughs> I had chowder fries. Have you had this before? No. Is no. it like poutine with chowder? Yes, it's French fries, and they pour a little chowder on it, like a thick, like a poutine. Oh my god, that's all. Okay. Anyway, let's go back to Danielle. That's all. Because she's sitting waiting for us. <laughs> Wait, you say that again. We're having a lag with Danielle. Yeah, we, we can't hear you very well. I'm sorry. Do you know what Fire Island is? It's like an yes. island out, all the way out east on Long Island. So The Pines, we, yes. We actually never grew up eating not kosher, but we did grow up going to Fire Island every single summer. Oh, and, lucky, lucky. And at the ferry, they would sell clam chowder and they would have two two kinds new england and manhattan right and manhattan is like that white thick one and it smelled so good and you would sit on the ferry and people would be eating this chowder and literally we would sit there salivating salivating it looked it smelled so good it looked so good i have to say the white one did smell really really good but 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 i'm from new york so maybe you know, so how do so so we're gonna go so people are gonna are your books uh, like right now we're having trouble with Barnes and Noble and people can't get in so everything's online they can buy them where can they go to buy your book online Amazon Amazon it's on Amazon just type in peas love and carrots the cookbook and it will pop right up can they buy it on your website let me look they cannot buy it on the website yet because um, my website's actually under construction the new website is launched actually in the next days um thank god and then they to purchase it what do you think before, about that Jen? well michael before we let her go i love the name of your book and there's two things we wanted to do one was we wanted to connect you with our good friend farmer lee jones of the chef's garden uh because he used to grow vegetables for all of the michelin stars and celebrity chef restaurants all over north america but they're all closed. And so all of this beautiful, bountiful produce that he grows in uh, Huron, Ohio at his family's farm is now being made in these boxes that are uh, home delivery boxes. And I love how you love vegetables. I love how peas and carrots uh, factor so prominently in the name of, of your book and your blog. But I have to ask you, Tell us about where the name comes from and what it means. The name just popped into my head. I just, I was, you know, trying to create an Instagram account to start the blog. And the name I had originally thought of, I don't even remember, was taken. And then it was the middle of the night. My husband was away for work traveling and loving carrots literally popped into my head. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is 
so me. This is so me. And I just went with it and I've never been back. And people ask me all the time as my following grows and things grow, would you change your name? Don't you want to just be Danielle Renov? And I'm like, no. I love the name. I love what it stands for. I love our community. I love everything about it. You know, the cover of the book was such a debate. Everybody told me, you can't put fish. You have to put chicken or meat. You can't put a salad. And we ended up going with this, like, amazing vegetarian soup, which is just, like, the craziest bowl of soup because it's literally me in a bowl. You know, it's a matzo ball, which is, like, wildly Ashkenaz, but it's this Moroccan matzo ball soup with chickpeas and saffron, and it's glazed with a rock and radishes and all different kinds of Middle Eastern microgreens and it, and sumac and just all of these insane flavors from all over the world, from literally everywhere that I've lived and all the cultures that I've soaked up. And it was so perfect for the cover, even though it's vegetarian, even though there's over 80, you know, protein-based recipes in the book, it just was so perfect. that I feel like the name is just speaks so much to our community and what we do here. And I love meat and I love chicken and I love fish, but I really think that no meal is complete without really, really delicious, properly cooked or not cooked, just assorted, delicious seasonal vegetables. And that's really something I learned from living in Israel. You know, I grew up in New York where even though it's not delicious at all times of year, everything's available at all times of year. And then I moved to Israel 13 years ago and I went to go buy watermelon and they're like, um, it's February. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, well, it's February. I'm like, um, okay. And they're like, well, there's no watermelon in February. There's watermelon in June and July. And I was like, oh, wait, what? And then I tasted the watermelon in July. And I'm like, this doesn't even taste like the watermelon we get. This is amazing. Right. And I really had it grew a huge appreciation for cooking seasonally and what that does for our palates and how that affects our cooking, the quality of cooking, how it helps the environment. And I feel like all of that is represented in this bowl, on this cover, and in love in Paris. And I'm really proud of it. She's very full of energy, Jennifer. Do you think that's the vegetables? I think it's the love, <laughs> the peas, and the carrots. Hmm. Well, any other questions for Danielle? You want to know about her life? Yeah, you no, want to know? Yeah, Danielle, our next guest today, much as uh, today's show is all about exotic locations, since most of us are not going to get to travel very far this summer because of COVID, we wanted to bring the world and a little taste of the world because the best reason to travel is to eat, which I know you think is also true. That's the best reason to wake up. I happen to be, I am not in. I, I didn't hear what she said. I am, tra I'm traveling right now. I'm not in Jerusalem right now. I'm actually in a lot, which is like the Southern tip of Israel. Far away. She, she's in a lot. She said she's in a lot in Israel on the southern okay, tip. Now, I so, hope there's water and, and electric on the lot that she's in. That was, so, that was an Israeli city joke. Okay. Have you, uh, uh, Danielle, have you ever been to Malta? That's really crazy. Do you, we were supposed to go to Malta on April 19th. We, Me and my husband were supposed to, like, we had tickets to leave. That's so crazy. So but will you say... And, and when you go to Malta, you know one of the most famous things that they produce in Malta that, that everybody travels from around the world to get is a very, very specific kind of delicacy, a, a, a treat called a pastizzi. Have you had that before? 
I haven't had the Maltese pastisi, but there is a very similar Moroccan version of that. And I have had that. So can I have you stick around for one minute? Cause I'm going to have you meet our next guest. I would his love name, to. his name is Joe. And Joe's, not, Joe's not backstage by the way. What do you mean Joe's not backstage? I well, we, then we need a commercial. Oh, you want to do a commercial? Yeah, let's do a commercial and we'll get Joe. Commercial, commercial. Whether you are thinking about becoming a restaurateur or you are already in the business, Michael Politz has written a must read, the Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success. Pick up your copy today at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Books A Million, or wherever fine books are sold. That was our commercial. Still I no love job. that. Still no I love that. Still no well, I'm not getting in the link. We're going to do the link one more time for him because um, he is known throughout North America as Mr. Pastisi. He's the one who does the Maltese style. Um, and while we're waiting for him, um, Danielle, what is the Moroccan style Pastisi? There's, there's a few different um, pastries like Moroccan pastries, some of them are savory, some of them are sweet, and they're just not so commonly known. It's not like Moroccan cigars or, um, you know, other very typical Moroccan foods like merguez or things like that, that I think were just homemakers types of foods that they would make with like easy um, laminated doughs. So they would make laminated doughs and either stuff them with like you know, sweet fillings, which was usually like a sweet almond paste filling, um, maybe with orange blossom water, something yeah. like that. So savory and stuff it with meat and also in the shape of almost like a horn shell type of thing. Kind of like the ones we saw in the picture. Um, yeah, but so they were like a little bit more elongated, but really delicious. So more, more. Okay. I get what you're saying. Let's yeah. talk um, while we're waiting. What was... When you think of a place to go, because one of the things your tagline on your website is, we'll travel for food. I love that concept. How important is the discovery of new food from new places to you? And how important is that to keep people thinking about in this time when we really can't travel, let alone it's, for any reason, let alone for good food, which is the best reason? It's actually very, very important to me. Um, I, you know, I, I saw like my website is a little bit outdated. I actually thank God have seven children. Um, and the main way that I really got to expose my children to food was really through other food cultures. I created this concept what predating the blog, just in my own house, my mother brought us this really amazing globe from Costco that like you take a pen and you touch it to a place and it tells you all these amazing facts about each location. Um, oh, neat. What? Neat. Yeah, geography, topography, currency, um, you know, the, polit the, the political structure there. Just really, really great, awesome toy. And my kids were obsessed with it. And I was like, but there's nothing about food on here. So I created this concept. We called it in our house Kitchen Destinations. 
And we would literally travel to di different destinations through our kitchen. So for three to four nights, every night at dinner, we would pick, let's say like one week we did Brazil. So the first night we would talk about Brazil and the language and I would get my kids to say all of these amazing Portuguese words and even just saying, you know, uh, Brazil, how they say it in Portuguese and um, teaching them facts about the Amazon and the Amazon River and um, the Brazil infrastructure and the policies there and, you know, what their parliament looks like and things like that and a little bit about their history and every night we would learn about it until the last night where we would make this Brazilian feast and the kids so invested in Brazil that they were willing to taste foods that I couldn't get them to taste no matter what I did. And um, it was really the best way for me to expose them to other food cultures. And from there, I realized that, you know, food is really breaking bread together. It's really such a neutralizer because we can be from opposite places in the world, but we both need to eat and we both want to eat some something delicious. And, you know, based on who you are and who I am, there might be a different opinion of what delicious is, but we can come together and we can um, sort of learn to accept each other and communicate with each other through our food. And I think that's just so important. Well, as if right on time and right on cue, the amazing Malta Joe is here with us. We're talking with author Danielle Renoff, um, who is the author of the brand new book, uh, Peas, Love and Carrots and is a global uh, food lover, food mother, and journalist whose tagline, Will Travel for Food, is brought to life. But, Danielle, I have to say, I love that you do. There's your book. Show <laughs> that again. And there's the pun season. <laughs> there you go. There we go. I. They are irresistible, I will tell you that. I've um, I've got to say, though, I love that you did the dinners with your kids and the culture for three nights because you really can't just do one night and have it come to life. Right. So, Danielle, I want to introduce you to my friend, uh, Malta Joe. He's uh, Joe um, from uh, everybody in the world that has this idea that certain places give us certain gifts of food. Joe has brought this to life in North America. I, I've asked him this many times, and we have not been able to find anybody else that does what he's doing, which is bringing Maltese Patsdisi to life. Joe, I'd like to introduce you to my friend, the, uh, the cookbook author and blogger, uh, Danielle Renov. Hello, Danielle. Joe, how are you? Good, very good, thank you. Very hot here in Tucson, Arizona. Wow. <laughs> I think it's 102. Oh my. <laughs> and then that's pretty good for around here. It gets up to 110 this, this time of year, pretty much uh, often. I'm actually much closer to your part of the world. I'm I'm here in Israel, also also a desert and very hot. <laughs> yeah, you're in the same longitude line. Yep. Joe, um, Danielle was telling us about her own family tradition. Her mother's Moroccan and makes a Moroccan version of your pastizzi and was telling us what the difference was. Let's tell everybody, and I wanted to make sure you met because the idea of this show is that these are all our friends in the business and my friend is your friend and now your friends are my friends. Let's talk a little bit about Maltese versions of the same treat, the pastizzi. Um, and how important it is to recognize that it's both sweet and savory. It has this very complex um, history. Talk a little bit about what it is that you make and how important it was for you to bring it to life. Yes, and this is actually the Maltese pastizzi. 
when you have two Zs together in the Maltese language, it makes the S sound. So that makes it easier for people to actually look at it because every American, once they see the word, they all immediately say pasdizi. So I give them a little adjustment and uh, they, uh, they get it right away. Um, I think every culture has um, a hand food, a hand pie food in their culinary repertoire. Um, this was um, one Christmas about uh, six years ago. I was making Christmas cookies out of my mother's cookbook for my family who was visiting. And um, I had finished. And I had a lot of leftover flour and nuts and everything else. And uh, I turned the page of my mother's recipe book, and there was her uh, recipe for pastitsi. So I ended up, uh, so that was around Christmas time. And I, I spent till about April on her recipe perfecting it because I haven't worked with her in a long time. We used to make it all the time growing up. Um, she used to make it and put it on the table to shut us up. So she could do her housework for my father before he came home. I was lucky enough to have a stay-at-home mom while my father worked um, up in New York. And um, we would be able to eat all day long and not bother her and say, Mom, I'm hungry. Mom, I'm hungry. Um, but working with my mother and making these pastitsi, it was very easy to make 12 of them. That was no problem. But if you wanted to go into a, a business commercial venture, I had to learn how to make 300 of them at least a day. So I took a nice trip over to Malta. I've been there many times. Most of my family is still there. And I was able to find um, a Maltese pastizzeria chef who was willing to be very generous and um, let me into his kitchen and show me how to do, how to make mass amounts of pastizzi for commercial use. Now you can understand here in America, I'm the only one doing making pastizzi for commercial use. On Malta, it's on every street corner. Every bakery makes one. There are, there are not past, um, pizzerias. There are pastizzerias. And they make pizza, but pastizzi is the main product. And they'll have, they'll have um, pizza there on the side, you know, if you wanted that. But um, this, this chef did not want me to um, learn from him and then all of a sudden open up another shop, adding to the um, confusion and uh, in the Malta there. So um, he wanted me to show him my airplane ticket back home to the States before he let me into the front door. And it's very true. I had to, I brought my plane ticket with me and um, I showed it to him and he opened the door and we spent the next two days making pastizzi. And um, at that time he was making 800 a day just by himself. Oh my gosh. It was amazing to see, amazing to learn. I brought that technique here to America. I, I'm up to 300 now a day, so uh, I'm, I'm getting up there. Practice makes perfect was his byline every almost every five minutes. Joe, pay attention. Practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. So he showed, me, he showed me how to make the handmade phyllo dough, and then he showed me how to make a few fillings. And um, right then and there, I've, I've been, I've been with it, working with his technique for about three years now. And a year well, ago- I, I, wanted, I just wanted to make sure you met Danielle, who's also a native New Yorker. So you have very many things in common. And through each of you, we are going to an exotic location today. I know it's the middle of the night for her. So we're gonna say, thank you so much for visiting with us. You know, she was on her way to Malta when the COVID hit. So this is the other, serendipity of this particular show's 
and these are the kinds of things that happen. We couldn't have designed this to be this coincidentally beautiful. So you designed. Hopefully you'll get there someday, Danielle. I was supposed to go in September myself. I I canceled my my plans, but it'll still be there. It's been there for millennia. Going because they didn't refund our tickets. They just you know held them. So we're definitely going one day. Okay, they're we keeping that safe for you. Thank you, Danielle. Yeah. Come back and visit us. Thank soon. you so much. All right, we got rid of Danielle. Now let's talk about so, Malta Joe. Why don't you introduce me like you introduced Danielle? That's listen, bizarre. Malta Joe, well, you went missing, and I wanted to make sure you were done in the bathroom by the time I introduced you. I didn't you to go. Friend. I didn't even have to go to the bathroom. How do you think he's running this board? <laughs> you know, this, this is oh. Michael Pulitz. He's the publisher of Food and Beverage Magazine and the author of the brand new Food and Beverage Magazine Guide to Restaurant Success. Ah, uh, there you go. Hi, Michael. I like this picture. You look great right there like that. All right. Thank you. Hi, Joe. Little Joe, I've, I've heard a lot of great stuff about you. I heard, I, I've seen these delicious pictures. Are you able to ship them out to people? What do you, or do you just have them in Tucson right now? How does that work? No, absolutely. I started out as a shipping business. I am, I'm, and it's very, very busy right now. I ship all over the country. Do you do a car baked? How do you do it? Are they frozen? No, I, I, I freeze them raw right from making them and um, package them by the dozen. Put them uh, four dozen per package. Put some dry ice in there and send them on to FedEx. And FedEx two-day priority gets them guaranteed to these people all over America. And how much does that cost somebody? Well, about the cost of the product. <laughs> so if uh, four dozen comes to about uh, $90, all if right. you're lucky enough to live in t uh, Texas, Nevada, California, you're paying about 60, 65, 70 to get there, but a lot of my customers come from New York, right? Florida. Well, you, but you're getting four, you're getting four dozen for 90 bucks. Right. That's not a bad deal. That's fine. No, that's fantastic. It's the yeah. that gets them. And sometimes people don't have that room in their freezer for four dozen. Well, yeah, people have small freezers. So what do you do then? They don't buy them. They, 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 I have a box that holds 10, so they can, they can order from four to 10 dozen. And wow, the more you order, the cheaper the shipping is. It's, it's, it's incredible. Well, that's it's what Jennifer, when, when we pay Jennifer, the more she speaks, the less we pay. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. A beautiful voice. Come on. I know, I know. Michael, what's cool, though, and the reason we, you know, I wanted you to imagine that we went on some really exotic summer trips. And then we took you to Malta and we took you to Israel and we took you to Morocco and we took you to somewhere where you would come home and say, you know, mm -hmm. you know James Beard thing. moment, James Beard moment. You're going to bore everybody. Go ahead. Go ahead. Schmancy fans. Schmancy fans. Go ahead. Malta Joe is the only commercial producer of Patsisi in the United States. I'm the only one that's doing it commercially. That is Evidently, Jennifer's a big fan. All right, and my fan base is growing every day. Jennifer, give us one word about, about his pastices. Come on, give us the word, Jen. They're what irresistible. What? They're irresistible? That's insatiable. We don't even have irresistible. You picked the wrong word, Jennifer. We don't have irresistible. That's okay. What I'll tell you, though, the crunchiness of the exterior when they're warm. When the fillings, and, and you're going to say, oh, well, it looks like a pastry. Was it sweet? No. I want you to imagine these wonderful, say, oh, Joe, you've got some. Show them, show them what it sounds like because they're crunchy. 
They're incredibly crunchy. And they've oh, got this fantastic filling. And they have very savory quality to them. So there's, you can get them. And that's got like a, well, it's it's not a ricotta cheese, but what kind of cheese is it? Yes. It's, it's like a ricotta. Ricotta and Parmesan mix. This one is our Southwest, which has um, bacon, hatch chilies, and the ricotta cheese. But you do one with curry that is a knockout. Yes, the split pea and curry pasta. See, yes. We even uh, offer that as a vegan option also. It is a knockout. It is so good. And take a bite so we can hear the crunch because people are going to not really understand. This is incredible. So here we go. Right? Mm. Irresistible. The layers are phyllo dough. Right. Mm. It's worth every fold. Right. Everything about that crunch is authentic and true. I'm making it the exact traditional technique that the Maltese have been doing for generations. So, Joe, is there love in every fold? Not only is there love in every fold, I, I name each one of these as I make them throughout the day. I name them. Who did you just eat? Jimmy? Jax? What's, what's, his, what's the one you just ate? What's his name? No, this one was a Robin. Oh, geez, Robin. Robin. Little Robin's oh, nest. A little, no. Philo, little Philo Robin's nest. Well, this is fantastic. The, the, this one was a Diana. Oh, <laughs> dirty Diana. See, I would have to. Uh, well, I, I, there was a, a Patricia earlier. <laughs> Cousin Rose. I just go yeah. sitting there making a 300 a day. You get methodical and you're just going through these motions, have some nice music in the background. Working with Doan doesn't make me any happier than that. That's beautiful. That's what Joe, it's about, Jen. In traditional um, Maltese culture, do you eat them at breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Is it a snack? Is it a meal? Do you have two of them with a salad? I mean, how do people actually eat them? All of the above. It's true. One could have them for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Have it for a snack in between meals. I always suggest my customers eat it with their salads. This way they could, when they're eating, and the, the, all the layers and the crispy and crunchies come, fall down, they mix croutons. Brilliant. And it's all over the salad. Nice. One of the traditions on Malta is when people finish their pastizzi, they're, they're eating the crumbs, you know, with their fingers like this. I watch the Americans do it and take pictures of them and send them to Malta with no caption because they know what's happening. When someone's pinching and scooping yeah, up. The last bits of the crust. Joe, because we can't travel this summer, give us a sense about the essence of Malta and how this particular product that you make that is unique in North America can give you a true little taste of Malta. Without exaggeration, when I bite into every one, I have to taste test every one of my batches. And when they come right out of the oven and I bite one, it brings me back to five, seven years old when I was on Malta as a little kid. And we're all going to the pastizzeria, we're all getting a dozen and eating. And knowing quite well after I eat five of them, I'm going to have a belly ache, but I do it anyway. Um, this traditional snack, this the, the Maltese pastizzi, does that to all my customers who are Maltese. Most of my customers are. They order them. 
A week later, they get them. A week later from that, they're leaving me messages on my phone, sending me emails, putting Google reviews, saying, this is amazing that I could have this here and feel as I feel right in Malta. This is almost as good as my grandmother's. And every one of them say almost because they must keep the respect of the nanu and the nana. They, they don't want to upset anyone in the family. So, and I, I appreciate that because even getting a nine out of ten, because grandma's is always ten, I, I'm amazed and I'm very happy and I appreciate my customer base so much. They're very, very supportive um, on Malta Joe's Baked Goods on Facebook. They're always leaving little tidbits. Oh, I wish I had some Malta Joe Pastizzi. And then another customer say, oh, I'll have some. I'll send you some. They're all having a good time finding it in America. I love it. So, Jennifer, not to be confused with the Maltese puppy or okay. the Maltese falcon, this is Malta Joe. And you can find his product at MaltaJoe.com, right? So, yep. Joe, let us, let us know how this goes. Stay in touch with Jennifer. Well, you, can I ask one last question? Because I want to know. Where in the U.S. are there pockets of, of populations of, of people from Malta or Maltese people? Well, a large client base seemed to be coming from San Diego through San Francisco. So California, Florida, New York, of course. But I'm very surprised to see so many Maltese in Texas. Texas is becoming a little wildfire of, um, of business. One person has it, then they tell their neighbors and they tell their neighbors. And they have to have them, um, Illinois. And my first, my first uh, shipment to um, Indiana was last week. Right. Well, Joe, we want to say thank you so much for uh, coming on and sharing the Patsisi story with us, and for letting everybody know. Come visit us again. Thank how you. Do you say, how do you say goodbye in Maltese? Um, Arrivederci, because. The Maltese language is salt and peppered with French, Spanish, Italian. Those oh, okay. Ciao. Ciao. Oh, beautiful. Ciao, Bella. Wow. Thanks, Joe. What a good guy, huh? How, do how, you find, how much do you love that crunch? How do you find these good guys to be on the show? What do you do? Are these your boyfriends? What's going on? It's confusing. How do you do that? I love how we went to Morocco and Paris and... Israel what a day. today, all in a day. Right. I love it. You're the best. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow should be fun. We're going to have a lot of fun tomorrow. Hug your kids. Count your blessings.